Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor of the Nullcast. And with that, Bud, we'll dive straight into our Louisville preview here. So, noon game, uh, Fox Sports South, Fox Sports Florida. Looks like kind of your regional Fox Sports networks uh, for those of you out there. So, you had a similar conversation as to myself and my lifelong best friend today. It is worth giving it a look over to make sure you've got the channel, or at least you can uh, find someone who does or perhaps share a login for a couple hours. But looking forward to tonight's preview. Want to start off the podcast real quickly and uh, sadly acknowledge the passing of Mario Henderson, a former Florida State player, uh, but kind of right around the same age as, as you and I and a a guy that, uh, you know, social media for all its flaws and all the societal talk we can have about it, uh, it does give you kind of a window into the world of players and past players and how they respond to things. And, you know, you're just reminded that these guys are humans and they build uh, close bonds and former players, uh, guys that played 10 years after he did, but realized how supportive of he was at the program. And uh, it's just a, a very sad thing to to read this morning. So we want to acknowledge that. Uh, pass along our best as family and um, you know somebody that will be missed yeah man it, it's it sucks dude I, I uh, you know I, I played against Mario in, in high school we're you know from the same area uh, knew him at Florida State and uh, actually got to know him you know decently well he was coaching at Lehigh High School uh, which is you know down there down there in Fort Myers and uh, along with you know James Cheney who's former defensive tackle at Florida State as a head coach. And that's, it's really sad. My, my, you know, my heart goes out to, to his family and, and also to the you know, Lehigh family and everybody who played with him. It's, it sucks. You know, and that's, it's a shame. Um, but we do you know, need to get in, get into the show. And noon, like you said, Fox Sports, two teams here that are, are having, you know, pretty kind of crappy seasons, but are, are being viewed through a different lens. Uh, Louisville is a team that last year made big-time improvement. Um, it's a team that I think by some media was expected to improve this year. We were somewhat skeptical about that because we didn't think that the improvement that they made last year could be repeated this year because a lot of it was just guys actually caring and trying last year compared to the 2018 team, which very clearly uh, quit on Bobby Petrino. And I think we had some skepticism about the roster a little bit because most of the time, when Petrino leaves a program, his roster atrophies, you know, and it like he usually leaves in a bad way and hasn't recruited very well and leaves some holes in, in the last couple spots. So uh, you have Louisville at one and four, oh, and four in the conference. They've, they've lost four consecutive games. You have four state at two and three, one and three to league. And, and the last game that FSU played has the fan base riding extremely high. Uh, yet Louisville is a five point favorite in this game right now, the over under uh, is 60. And I, I think you'll see, uh, you, you'll see why this game is kind of evenly matched in a lot of ways. And yet has factors on both sides that, I mean, really no result in this one would totally shock me. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. If FSU blows Louisville out, wouldn't totally shock me. You know, if, if Louisville blows FSU out again, really wouldn't totally shock me. I, I think everything is very much in play here. Uh, in in this one because there are a lot of variables that are ever changing for these teams and and certainly not teams that you can count on uh, at at this point right, <laughs> in the season yeah. to be sure certainly i mean i i had more than one person to ask if louisville was the the best one win team in the country this week and uh you know we can talk about stuff like that i don't know that it really matters i know when you're one and four that uh, even coming off a, a fairly impressive result uh, in the in the five point loss at Notre Dame, uh, you know guys can only can only hold on to losing four games in a row uh, for so long. So if Florida State were to somehow get up early, uh, I could see this team, you know, maybe begin to question what uh, what twenty twenty really has in store for it. So uh, you're right; it is two teams that have not maybe had the year that they hoped for, uh, but also kind of two teams that are. Uh, buoyed by their last result and and feel as though maybe they're starting to trend in the right direction. So we'll jump into the offense and the defense and the particular parts of this game, but it is from just a, a large overview 
uh, kind of interesting to look and, and see where these teams are through five games so far. I think Louisville is the best one and four team in the country, by the way. And there are not that many teams that are one and four. There are not that many teams that have actually played five games yet. Western Kentucky, USF, Syracuse are one and four. There are probably some teams that only have one win, which are a little bit better than they are. But I, I ultimately, I think Louisville probably is the, the best one and four team in the country if we want to get you know that specific. Let's go ahead and dive into their offense. The offensive preview is brought to you by Legacy Home Loans. At Shannon and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN. I'm pretty sure we hit 100 today, by the way. Shannon just sent me another closing with a couple more in the works. and I'm going to have to go out and, and buy more packages just, just to send these T-shirts and, and welcome packages off, man. So very excited for that. There's a reason I got my mortgage and my refi through Shannon and Chad. You guys should check them out too. It's customer service. It's great rates. It's knowledge of the industry and and, and the want to, to really help you have an awesome experience and an awesome loan. So 844-FSU-LOAN. Give them a shout. All right. Louisville's defense. Not the best part of their team, I would say, probably so far this year. They are uh, ranked 92nd in defensive SP+. That is that is not particularly good. Um, they, at times, look like an absolute dumpster fire, and at other times, look downright okay. This is one I, – I, I pulled up several of their games, and this is just one of the more – confounding uh, sides of the football of any of the teams that FSU has played so far. Because there are times when they actually look okay. Uh, they're they're going to base mostly out of, out of a 34 or a nickel look, depending on the personnel. You know, if FSU goes double tights, they'll, they'll probably go to more that, that 34 look. Of course, you know, if FSU goes double tights, it means you're using a walk-on. So, you know, just depending on what you want to do there. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're 92nd in the country. Um, and, there, there's a reason for that, and it, it's really, really glaring when, when you pull up their their game tape or or their stat sheet. I went back and watched a couple of their games today. Uh, the Georgia Tech game is is one that particularly stands out on this. Uh, they'll be fine. Two or three plays, blown assignment, seventy one yard touchdown. Uh, it, it is when when it goes bad, it goes pretty bad for Louisville. Uh, it, it's interesting to see their uh, defense on the whole. They kind of do – they don't do anything at three-quarter speed. I mean, like, uh, if, if they try to stop the run, then it is everybody bites on it, uh, tries to run up. Uh, sometimes that's a two-yard loss. Sometimes that's a 56-yard play-action pass over their heads. It is uh, – you know, they like uh, some teammates that I had in sports, or the coaches would say, and this is not necessarily always a compliment, but dude's only got one speed, and that is a full go. And that is – from a real simple review of Louisville's defense, that's kind of what jumps out at me. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are literally dead last in explosiveness allowed in the country among teams that have played so far. Like, dead last. It, it's it's a combination of things. Um, I think part of it is just blown assignments. that they. I don't think I've ever seen a team, and I've been doing this podcast with you for almost a decade now, I don't think we have ever studied a team that has more guys running just WTFO in the secondary. I mean, just nobody in the frame. They had like three 50-yard touchdowns they allowed against Miami where there was nobody in the frame. I mean, like, like not even not even remotely close. It, right. it, it's, it's remarkable. Western Kentucky busted a big one on them, I, I believe. Now, Georgia Tech... I think that's an interesting watch because if it's a different watch for me in the first three quarters than it is in the final quarter. I feel like because Louisville was down, they were really, really pressing to try to get back in that game. And to Tech's credit, Tech basically went high risk and said, okay, we're not going to try to run out the clock here. If you're going to try and sell out against our run to this extent, we're going to throw the ball over your head. And they did a couple times. And that score, to me, is a little bit deceptive. Because Georgia Tech only had like 20 points to three quarters, and they finished with 46, it, it, roughly around there. I mean, go with me here. It, it, they, they were not blowing them out to three quarters, if I recall. They had a lead, uh, but it wasn't I like they, a, I think they scored 10 points in the final three minutes of the game or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, yeah. it, it busted it really wide open uh, because they kept scoring as opposed to running out the clock. The um, other thing that stands out from that game real quickly – uh, real glad we didn't have to play against Gibbs in game one. That that dude is an absolute running back. And uh yeah, he had a he had a nice stat line against Louisville and 
think he's probably going to have a productive day against pretty much everybody that he plays against, except maybe Clemson. He's the best back in the league once Etienne leaves, right? See anybody else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a hell of a player. But we'll get back to the, the topic of conversation tonight. But when I went back and watched that game today, it was uh, hard not to appreciate what, what 21 is and maybe having the ideas to what 21 will ultimately become for Georgia Tech. So It's a podcast. We, we can go off topic once in a while. <laughs> or, or like, that's, that's not even like totally off topic. It's just like tangentially topic. Um, yeah, I agree with your assessment, though. Like, like, I know we both watched this and arrived at a similar conclusion. They're not that bad on a down-to-down basis. Just when they, when they screw up, it, it, you know, like it, it's, it's really, really bad. You know, it, it's, it's wild. Um, now, characteristically, let, let's go ahead and talk about them against the run. Uh, they do sell out quite a bit to get tackles for loss. Uh, their linebackers are actually very athletic. Now, they're not that big. I mean, we're talking in a 34 defense here. Now, they're one gap. They're, they're not two-gapping as much. But in, in a 34 defense, they're, they're 225, 230, 230, 215. So that's not a lot of bulk. Um, but they they fly around a lot. Their linebackers are number one in the nation in linebacker havoc rate. Like, number one. That's really, really good. Part of that is the athleticism that they have. Part of that is that, like, Dorian Etheridge and, and Rajay Burns and C.J. Avery – they're super athletic and they are very aggressive and they go after it. Um, but let's also note here that sometimes their angles and fundamentals are terrible. And it looks like they're not coached at all on certain plays, which is wild because I know Brian Brown, the defensive coordinator for, for the Cardinals, has a pretty good reputation and was thought of as kind of like a rising star, but and maybe a star get knocked down a little bit after, after this year's defensive performance. Um they also bite like crazy on play action fakes. I mean, just part of this is probably schematic stuff. I, I, I kind of refuse to believe these guys just have zero awareness com- completely. It's probably that the defense puts too much on them and asks them maybe to, to like have too many guys playing run and pass at the same time, whereas like and try to cover a really tough guy like a Brevin Jordan or a Will Mallory for, for Miami uh, in that game because Miami just killed them on some of those play action fakes especially in, in the red zone, getting those tight ends up the seam. My guess is that Louisville will will change how they play some of that. They are coming off a, t- a, a game against Notre Dame uh, in which they basically dared Notre Dame to throw the football on them. Notre Dame could not, in part because they were 25-mile-an-hour wins, <laughs> which was which was tremendous for live betting the under, by the way, uh, if, if you're into that kind of thing, especially when the NBC announcer says, well, I think Notre Dame's going to try and throw the football a lot today. I'm like, Really? It's the, the winds are like 25 mile an hour. I mean, this is a two club wind. Uh, so it's kind of like if they keep doing what they've been doing, I think FSU has a chance here to be successful on offense because what is Florida State's offense based around right now? Trying to outnumber you and out angle you at the point of attack with the run game, which bad angles by Louisville at times. Sometimes they don't set the edge. And also tricking you, because even though this offensive line is playing better, it's still not a good line by any stretch. It's winning because of angles and tricking and outnumbering you. Uh, so Louisville seems like they can be tricked. I think that's a, a good sign for this FSU offense. Um, but I also have some concerns here, man. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it wasn't all FSU shooting itself in the foot in the second half. If you watch that North Carolina game, there were FSU mistakes, to be sure. I mean, the, the, the penalty by by Lucas, the the, the false start, the, the interception that Jordan Travis throws on first down, which is not acceptable. But UNC basically came to the same conclusion that Willie Taggart came to and the same conclusion that I, I suspect this coaching staff had until it absolutely had to go to Jordan Travis. And that's that Travis can't throw. And in the second half, UNC loaded up, and Travis couldn't throw on and FSU's run game was basically not useless, but it wasn't that good. You know, they, they got stopped an awful lot. If Louisville can successfully sell out to stop Notre Dame's run and Notre Dame can't throw on them, we can't ignore that. We, we can't say, oh, FSU will be fine running the ball. Maybe they will, but we can't assume that. Like, I'm not assuming that, that's, that this is going to go swimmingly um, because Louisville's coming off a much better defensive game in which they stopped the run you know, decently well. They, were, they played well in the red zone, honestly, was, was the main key. 
against the Irish. Um, and I'm also concerned here, that, like we know in long down and distance, FSU's dead, right? Jordan can't throw from the pocket, or at least has shown no ability to do so so far. And given the play calling by Kendall Browse last year with him and also by this current staff, pretty sure they probably feel the same way because otherwise they might drop him back a little bit more. And you also can't pass protect, which is a problem. And your receivers don't really win unless you scheme them open. Other than that, FSU's in perfect position to uh, drop back and throw the football on long down and distance. Louisville actually forces a very high average third down distance at 8.6, which is one of the highest in the country because they do sell out to get those tackles for loss. Thus, uh, I think that there are a couple things you need to do here. Uh, I think you need to lean in on the trickeration um, with the run game. And you need to lean in on trying to throw more of the play action stuff if possible uh, off the run game. And you really need to, to, to focus on creating those explosive plays. I, I don't think Louisville is a team that you're going to be able to go on sustained, like long, you know, multi-play drives on that they usually knock you off schedule well enough. So that with, with the run game, that's that's kind of my concern. Uh, passing, I, I think, is a little bit different story against them. Yeah, um, it will be interesting to see what they try to do uh, with the pass game. I mean, uh, some people have had success kind of spreading them wide, uh, hitting them with screens. I expect Florida State to do some of that. Uh, but it, it will be fascinating just to see what Louisville does overall from a schematic standpoint. Is This is the first team that you get a feel – like they've they've got enough t- tape to really be able to formulate a plan specific for Travis and know real well what he could do, kind of what Florida State's trying to do with him and the adjustments. Uh, not that uh, North Carolina couldn't have schemed, but I think the North Carolina game, uh, you know, gives you an idea as to what Florida State's going to try to do with him and whether that move is made uh, immediately as opposed to the second half will be something that's interesting, but yeah, the linebackers, I, I kind of always go back to linebackers for this defense. Uh, you're right. When they bite uh, on the run, they bite on the run. And when they drop men, linebackers get deep as hell sometimes. Uh, so a lot of times, if, uh, if you can work the intermediate game or the shorter pass game, I will be very interesting to see. I think you'll see the return of uh, a lot more. I think we saw it once against UNC, but I do think you'll go back, uh, to kind of that uh, triple option look where you flare wide with either Wilson or, um, uh, well, most likely Wilson. I think Helton's been involved once. But uh, I think you'll try to do a lot of things against uh, against him with a pass, and this is a defense that uh, that can be had, certainly. And some of the, you know, some of those silly plays that happen uh, are just secondary is not horrible, but the secondary also, you'll have a guy and three guys will tackle air and the guy will just go for a touchdown on something that's not necessarily, you know, it ain't Peter Work or Percy Harvin back there jerking people out of their shoestrings and making plays. The secondary is not always fantastic at uh, getting the ball carrier down to the ground. I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, it, it's it's a weird defense to watch and you think like they shouldn't be this bad and yet at times – they really are. There will be things to exploit there. I think it, it's up. It's up to Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham to figure out ways to, you know, to minimize those negative plays that you know Louisville wants to make, uh, or just to, if you're not minimizing them, to get those to get those big big trade offs. This this is probably a game, I think, that Florida State needs to be a home run and strikeout hitter. It's okay if you strike out a little bit, you know, uh, but you also need to hit some home runs, some mm-hmm. some big ones here. And like, I'm interested to see what Louisville does. They, they, they've played a lot of man coverage this year. Uh, I don't know how much man coverage you want to play against Jordan Travis. Typically, like, typically you don't want to play that much man against a guy who, who is this mobile. Because especially like on, on passing downs, if you turn your back to him, hell, sometimes his first option is to run, right? We know he's not reading more than one guy on some of these plays just by, by how he reads it out and takes off, which is fine. Like, I don't think FSU staff wants him trying to read out a bunch of stuff. It's certainly not asking him to. Um, but, yeah, like, we, we need to figure out a way to create explosive plays down the field. If they do play a lot of man, I, I think this is an opportunity to hit him with some crossers. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We really haven't seen that a lot from Travis, uh, but that's something that you should be able to, to do, um, I, I think, and, and should have some success. So we – you're certainly going to have to search for explosives and you're going to have to find the big play just as, as we've talked about the, 
the struggles with sustainability and, and, you know, long prolonged drives. But I also think you're going to have to, uh, to live kind of stretching them wide and see if you can't pick up four five, six, seven yards as well. I mean, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what you do and kind of how you try to scheme this up. But I, I think you've got to try to stretch, stretch this defense as much as possible. And, uh, and then try to kind of set your run game up off of that to an extent. But uh... I, I think that's fair. Um, we, we should also note, like we, we talk about the linebackers, we, we talked about the defensive backs. You know, man, I'm not really convinced that their front line is all that good. You know, like not, they they don't create a whole lot of tackles for loss or havoc plays. Yet their linebackers, if you if you get on them, can be blocked. The, these are linebackers that really need to need to stay freed up at times. The line in front of him has done a good job. We don't know what the status is of Yaya Diaby, who FSU actually offered when, when Fuller got here. He's a defensive end. He left in the Georgia Tech game with an ankle injury. He played the first three series against Notre Dame and then left the game again. So, I mean, my guess is that he plays, but I don't, I don't actually know, you know, that that he plays. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see there on that. Um, goals. Let's 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 talk goals here. My my two and, and Adney, if you want, are kind of kind of centered around the idea we need to hit explosive plays and we need to not have an insane amount of three and outs, but we'll we'll, we'll take some. So let's say explosive play rate over fifteen percent in the game. And I, I think a three and out percentage under twenty percent. You know, so I mean Obviously, you guys can do the math on this, but if you get 15 drives, only have three, three and outs. Maybe that's not, uh, maybe that's not doable. Yeah, maybe that's too aggressive. Maybe we should make that. I don't know. Does that that seem doable to you? The three and out percentage is that too low? Uh, no, I think that's. I mean, they're. I think that's 35 percent on the year of issues. Yeah, is. yeah, I think that's uh, reasonable. I'll also, just tack on one, uh, no more than one drop. I mean, you you cannot be dropping footballs against uh against this defense if you if you're going to try to pick up some of the simple stuff and try to force them to you know create some of the some of the own errors that they have against uh, other teams so especially if you're only throwing 20 passes oh yeah yeah like, yeah uh, that's uh, you drop two balls can't be dropping 10 percent of the attempts uh so yeah that that's the only the only uh, other one that i'd tack on when it comes to uh when it comes to the offensive look exactly all right, you want to go to the other side? Yeah, let's go to the other side. Defense, this will be a more uh, interesting conversation, or at least perhaps uh, one that's that of a more challenging opponent. So uh, we'll call in our good friends Congruity to help us diagnose this. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, uh, people that we've been ever so fortunate to be able to pair with this year. Congruity strives to create value for our customers by delivering truly unique client-centric experience. It helps them accomplish their desired goals, inspires performance, engages their employees on a more personal level, and fosters a positive culture. So whether it be with uh, HR and compliance, payroll and tax administration, workers' comp, uh, Congruity can help you with just about every aspect of your business. We encourage you to contact our friend Matt Lewis, Knowles at CongruityHR.com. Again, Knowles at CongruityHR.com. And if you're more of a uh, speak-on-the-phone type of guy or lady, 844-247-4100. Okay, so uh, Louisville's offense is considerably better than Louisville's defense uh, by by a whole lot. I mean, I I kind of love watching Louisville's offense in theory anyways. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting with what they do uh, running out of the pistol more times than not. It gives you a good idea as to – or it doesn't give you an idea necessarily uh, how they want to attack with – kind of the setup that they do. You see a lot of outside zone, inside zone. Uh, it's a fun kind of modern, I don't want to say video game offense, but it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. And and when it starts clicking, you, you certainly have the ability to attack every aspect of the field. The one thing I like about running running from the pistol, and, and Florida State has done some pistol now with, with, with uh, Jordan Travis, is that you get that kind of downhill run game effect as far as the play action, as opposed to more of the sidecar look in your traditional shotgun, which allows you to get more of that downhill play action game. I, I feel like because you're having people are having to not just from a stop to, to turn around, they're having to actually stop their own momentum and and go. So 
Um, I, I, I like what Louisville does on offense. I, I do not think that they are as good as they were on offense, you know, last year, especially not when they were clicking last year. Uh, this year they are they're incredibly reliant on explosive plays and and on their run game. Um, I mean, to to a ridiculous rate, to be honest. Ingram, this year, Louisville's offense is uh, this year Louisville's offense. It it's nuts. They are literally second in the nation in explosiveness, forty third in success rate. So, whereas FSU's offense now it's been more explosive under Jordan Travis than it was under James Blackman. So the numbers are kind of skewed. But FSU is is not nearly that kind of skewed. This is like. Hey, they are very reliant on popping the big one. They are not a team that should be able to consistently drive the football against you. Uh, they get off schedule all the time. I mean, they're literally dead last in the nation in stuff rate allowed. No, I'm sorry, not dead last. Excuse me. Uh, there's a new team that has entered the chat, I believe. So my guess is that UMass came into the in, into the situation and <laughs> probably Georgia Southern. I, I have not read that box score yet, but I would guess Georgia Southern had a lot of tackles for loss. And so so somebody pumped Louisville uh, down. So we'll discuss their run game first a little bit here. They, they still have Javian Hawkins. He's a good back. Obviously, uh, Cunningham, the quarterback, is, is, a, is a good runner of the football. I mean, he has 166 yards on the year. But last year, they had a guy named Mekhi Becton, who was, you know, 6'7 and 380. And they he was just a, a dancing bear and a legitimate problem for opposing defenses. And um, I mean, there's the clip of him. Was it was it Marvin that he pancaked, or or who was it? It was somebody uh, on Florida State last year that they played over and over again in the draft process. Yeah, Marvin and, also throws him pretty good too. So if it's Marvin that he pancaked him, that you know, two two decent players going after yeah. each other is always fun to watch. You know, like they were really able to run behind him last year a, a whole heck of a lot, and he's like the only good player on the Jets. Uh, hold the emails if, if you're a Jets fan. I'm sure there's somebody else good. But uh, the DN out of uh, Ohio University is not that bad on the Jets, I guess. I, I see their, their recruiting guy constantly retweeting highlights of him because he's from you know Ohio U. So, look, this year the offensive line is not nearly as good. It's not as physical as it was last year. And to add on to that, they also, I think, make more mistakes. Now, when it all flows together, it looks pretty good. Um but they don't have Beckton. They don't have that guy they can trust to run to the left. Running left is also kind of that old, like Sean Alexander, Seattle Seahawks type thing back when they had Walter Jones and, and it would kind of get teams wrong-handed, I guess, if you would. Uh, but this year they don't have that, that same level of, of run game. And FSU in theory should be able to limit the, the, the run of Louisville in this game. But I have a little bit of concerns here. Number one, like the last time that FSU faced a really mobile quarterback, not just like, hey, can move around a little bit, but a guy who's a threat to, to, be, to go on long runs, it, it did not go very well. Derek King had a field day against this defense, and that was pre-simplification, I get, uh, but that's still in him, I think. And Cunningham is not the type of dude, he's not a Sam Howell, Ian Book, you know, can run around, whatever. He's like, can run around and take it to the house. So you really got to be, you got to be alert. I'm also concerned a little bit, man, about the challenge that Louisville's offense presents with the zone running game. In the last two weeks, FSU has played two teams that were primarily man gap schemes. You know, like they're not a they're not zone scheme. Notre Dame and and, and North Carolina, how they block it up, are kind of similar. You know, and so FSU got back to back weeks of reps. Not to mention FSU is not running as much zone as I expected them to under Mike Norvell, probably because they're. They're trying to do some different Malzon type stuff with with their current spread option attack. Uh, so in practice, FSU's not seeing as much zone as, as I think they probably normally would. So this is going to be an adjustment, and, and I don't know how FSU will handle this. It's a different challenge for the front, for the backers, and and you know for for some of the secondary. So we're just going to have to have to watch and see there. And I'm I know we say like, hey, I'm looking forward to see how this team grows. I, I am. I'm interested to see how they, how they play this. It, it, it's a different challenge with different personnel. Yeah, yeah, they'll challenge you absolutely, uh, and they they do a lot of orbit, a lot of motion stuff. Uh, they get their wide receivers involved in the running game that way. Um, 
they run some triple option stuff off of off of motion and off of the orbit. It's a it's an interesting offense to watch if you if you like watching a little bit of everything. Uh, Cunningham is a uh, a dangerous runner, as you pointed out. They don't run him a ton on designed runs. Uh, it's uh, there is some of that, but it's really more him occasionally running if a play breaks down. But uh, I. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't design a little bit more quarterback run, uh, particularly against Florida State's defense. You know, it also depends, um, I think, uh, on, on how uh, like how healthy he is because he got crushed in one of those games. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but like it was clear he was not 100% for a while. Assuming he's mm-hmm. back to healthy, I, I, I think I agree with you. I think this is a game they need to go all out, all out to win. FSU and Louisville recruit against each other a good amount right now, which is – not a good thing long term for FSU, but it's just kind of where you are right now, and you got to deal with it. Well, um, we got Josh Griffiths, so and Chubba Purdy, and Chubba, yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe you'll play some this week. Uh, you know, like if he's capable of running some of the spread option stuff, maybe you, maybe you throw him in there and 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 spell Travis a little bit. Who knows? We still got to talk about the Louisville pass game here. Uh, much like Florida State, Cunningham is not a very good dropback passer. Uh, he's a little bit more capable of throwing the ball, I think, than than Travis is, but. He's not a good passer. Uh, they are almost entirely play action based. They they are able to be pretty explosive off that play action stuff. They will throw the screen game. The, the guy in the, the, the guy to know here is Tutu Atwell. I mean, he's one of the fastest players in college football. I know Anthony Schwartz, the Auburn kid, is probably faster than him on the track, but Atwell, I, I think, is legitimately the fastest player in pads in college football. E- either him or Waddle. Um. Just I don't know. Like I, Schwartz to me, the Auburn guy doesn't play doesn't play as fast as, as his track times. Uh, Atwell is is super dangerous. Des Fitzpatrick is a pretty reliable, you know, bigger receiver for them. They they're going to look to get Atwell double digit touches in this game somehow. That that's that's how they win. FSU wins by not allowing insanely big plays to Atwell. And you know, okay, he got twelve, fine. Yeah, that's that's one of his touches in the game. Twelve is he, not is not eighty. Yeah, he is the wide receiver that I referenced that they get involved in a lot of runs and and stuff off some of the motion or orbit or whatever you want to refer to it as. But well, because uh, you kind of got to cheat, like you kind of got to cheat to to you know to, to basically hedge yourself against right. that motion because you know yeah. if he gets the ball at full you, speed, you're you not can't angle it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to respect the speed. Um. All right, so. They're off to tackles, have had a lot of issues in pass pro. Again, I mean, we're talking Adonis Boone and, and Renato Brown. Uh, I don't think either of these guys move their feet very well. If FSU had better pass rushers at the defensive end spot, I would feel much better about their chances in this game than I currently do. But I mean, we'll see if Kando can take advantage. We'll see if a McClendon can take advantage. Uh, the offensive line communication up front, I don't think has been great either, but they, they seem to have improved that a little bit. In recent games, we'll we'll see if that if that continues. Um, I think you also probably have to play more zone in this game, just due to Cunningham's mobility, right? Like la- last year, you played or last week, you played a lot of man, you played a lot of nickel. We'll we'll see how much nickel they they play. Louisville does use a tight end, but they also operate out of three receiver sets uh, a, a good bit, and sometimes sometimes they'll go they'll go two back, but but not that much, but. I'm interested to see, like, do they play that that nickel with Brownlee, or do they try to play, you know, more more three linebacker looks? My suspicion is is they'll stick with the nickel unless they get run out of it. We'll have to see, man. Let's move to the to the goals portion here. Talk about, you know, it seems to be a pretty common return here when we talk about what we're looking for the defense, but uh, big plays and kind of super chunk plays at that thirty uh, yard passes, twenty yard rushes. Four more, or four more, four, four fewer. More. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think this is like a, this is a good goal to to have. Um, you know, we I think Louisville will get some explosive plays. The the real key here is is not allowing like the mega explosive play. Not not giving up the sixty yarder and the forty yard. You know, like not not too many forty and fifty yard shots, which might hell depending on where you are on the field might be seventy or eighty. You know, so. I think that's a real key here. And normally we wouldn't put a category where hey, don't don't give up super big plays, but I think this is really an important key here. Um the other one is is make Louisville win in the red zone. I, I, I don't really think Louisville is 
I don't know that what they're doing in the red zone is all that sustainable given what their personnel is. So I, I would say make them drive, man. Like they, they do have the number one stuff rate in the country. Uh, they are number 72nd in the nation in havoc rate allowed. Now, you know, Florida state's defense, 75th in the nation and havoc rate created. So we're talking about like, What's the opposite of the immovable force versus the irresistible force and the immovable object? What's the opposite of that? Because like Florida State's defense never gets havoc plays. Louisville's offense gives them up all the time. Like something has got to give here. And given the trajectory of FSU's defense, I think FSU may be able to get some havoc great plays here. Uh, last note before we get to to questions and predictions. Louisville's punting is horrendous. This could be this, this could be important in this game. If FSU has better special teams uh, than than the Cardinals do, and I, I say that even with you know even with Louisville, uh, or excuse me, even with FSU missing all those field goals. The one note, obviously, uh, I think Louisville's got a pretty good punt returner. You know, like they 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 got some guys who, who can scoot, and their field goal kicker is is not that bad. But their their punting this year has been been rather for so let's uh let's go ahead and go to uh predictions and questions let's move to the uh the questions part of the podcast here one thing that we've never had to question is uh good people at madison social township centrale uh great partners for us great enhancers of the experience it is uh being a florida state fan uh, if you're in tallahassee and you're just looking for a place to consume the game as it takes place in louisville certainly consider our friends uh, and whether it be game weekend, a random Tuesday afternoon, or whatever else may find you in Tallahassee, there is no better place than Medicine Social Township or Centrale. And thank you to them as they have uh, been with us since day one. So the first question comes from our friend Kessner, who always asks some pretty thoughtful questions. He says, hey, so happy to have a win, and I feel much better about Norvell and his staff. In my business, we always quickly celebrated our successes, then focused on what we could do better. I'd like to do the same with Norvell. I want to focus on Norvell's talent evaluation abilities. The web find is huge. I agree. He he is. Uh, With that said, I'm concerned about his ability to evaluate quarterbacks. He played Blackman over Travis. He passed on Jeff Sims, who, in in his opinion, uh, would thrive in the offense we were running now. He thought Rodemaker would would be the better quarterback over Travis, only playing Travis out of desperation. I've seen multiple evaluation uh, issues at quarterback, which has me concerned. Is Is my concern warranted? Thank you, as always. Keep up the good work. I like Kesta's questions because he definitely thinks about stuff in a, in a different way. It makes me think, you know, before I answer, there's not a whole lot of like snap judgment answers. I'm going to say, I think that, that it is mostly not warranted. Um, mostly not warranted. Um, you know, we, we did discuss, like we haven't really seen Norvell have success with quarterbacks that he recruited out of high school. We, we talked about that, I believe in the preseason and during the recruiting process as well once he was hired. So that that's the kind of one exception I would have here to the mostly. Um, but, you know, sounds like Jordan Travis wasn't as healthy in camp as they would have liked him to be, you know, miss, miss some practices. Uh, and also like, I don't know if they knew how bad this offense was going to be once it got into actual games, you know, like I think Blackman is a better practice player than, than he is a game player from, from really all accounts. And it's very clear that this is not the offense they want to run long-term, okay? You don't advertise offense built for playmakers and then run your quarterback as many times per game as you let them throw, okay? This is a clear desperation shift as a temporary stopgap. This is not what they're going to be running long-term under Mike Corvell. I can guarantee you that. This is a temporary shift in offense for which Travis – is a better fit. And yet I think even they were surprised at how well he played. So maybe that's uh, maybe that goes to Keston's point here about evaluating, but I will also say like Kendall Browse also didn't use him very much last year. I think Kendall Browse is one of the brightest offensive minds in college football. I think there are a lot of good coaches on this staff and they didn't see it. Maybe Jordan Travis is more of a gamer, you know, than, than we realize maybe yeah. they threw Rodemaker in because they didn't want to switch the entire offense if they didn't have to. Yeah. He's a gamer, and he's also somebody that has to have full contact to appreciate his skills. I mean, you don't 
you don't appreciate what Travis can do if you're running thud or something like that, in my opinion. Uh, so it is, uh, I would be hesitant to say that to the same extent and, and not that uh, Altmeyer was some kind of unknown prospect, but um, I would give Norvell and staff uh, ability to evaluate that kid, get a commitment from him and uh, certainly committing to Florida state helps your recruiting stock, but uh, Altmeyer's only gone in one way over the past four or five months uh, as far as national perception. And I think that was a good find. So I, I agree with you. I, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kesson also asked a question and, and I'm going to take this one. Like this is one that's kind of obvious to me, uh, but because he asked it and he's one of our more informed fans, I'm going to go ahead and answer it because I feel like if he's asking it, maybe other people don't realize it as well. So he asks, Hey, does the dead period prevent unofficial visits? Could a top recruit just show up on campus, tour the campus and the facilities on their own? If they happen to run into players and coaches while touring on their own, would that be a violation? So it does not prevent them uh, from unofficially visiting a campus and doing their own tour. However, the NCAA put down guidance that says you cannot like Skype them up or, you know, video chat them or whatever, uh, FaceTime them. And give him like a guided tour like that. You're also not allowed to have any contact with them. To FSU's credit, it actually made kind of a guided tour thing. But they did it through, I think, admissions or something like this. This was really creative and attention to detail here, finding this, I don't know if you call it loophole, uh, but it was very creative in the way they went about doing, uh, the, to make to make what they were doing permissive. And I, I think they're the first school that I heard of doing this. Maybe there's somebody else doing it. Maybe now somebody's copied them. But they actually made like a uh, interactive guide for recruits or any student who wants it. <clears throat> if you want to be guided around by the coaches, you know, so they have like Alex Atkins talking about this place on campus and it's significant to FSU's culture, right? Which is pretty neat. And you can go around and like you stand on a marker and you know the like the video plays and whatnot, from what I understand. So you can do that. That's a really creative job that FSU's done there. The issue is, of course, getting people to actually travel during the pandemic and getting them up there to utilize that. But uh, they cannot tour the facilities on their own, to Keston's point, if the facilities are not open to the general public. So you're not allowed to go any areas that are not open, you know, to the general public. Now, the stadium is usually open because I know people run, run stadiums in there all the time. You, you can find ways in. So you could go into the stadium. You just can't go in the locker rooms. You can't do stuff like that. You're not going to get into the weight room, that type of stuff. If they run into players, um, I think the players are technically not supposed to have interaction with them during the dead period unless it's somebody with whom they have a previous relationship. But that that's not usually an issue. The issue is going to be coaches. Uh, and no, coaches cannot interact with them on campus if they do drive up on their own dime right now. Next question comes from TJ. TJ asks, Jordan Travis, is what Chris Ricks should have been with competent coaching? Thoughts? Um, you know, I, I want to answer this in, in a respectful way, uh, but I, I, I don't really uh, I don't really agree with it. Um, <laughs> like I, I Chris, disagree with that as well. I mean, I, it, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you answer. There's no know. evidence that Travis can throw the ball well so far. Two games in, I haven't seen him throw the ball well yet like not from the pocket at all. Everything is like very schemed up for him. One read type stuff, screen game, you know, play action, that, that type of deal. They're not even really RPO in that much, if at all. There's some pre-snap stuff. Uh, I think Chris Rick's abilities to throw the football, even though he was developed poorly, uh, far, far outpaced what, what Jordan Travis can do. I don't like this question, one, because I have to defend Chris Ricks, which doesn't feel <laughs> natural to me, and two, I have to speak you know, negatively of a guy who's played his heart out and has done a lot to turn this team around. So, look, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think you can give Jordan Travis five throws at the fourth and 14 play where Ricks hits Robinson that later becomes the P.K. Sam pass. Uh, I'm not sure Travis has that ability to make that pass. Uh, Ricks is a better – better thrower of the ball and quarterback than, than I think people realize. And, you know, it was unfortunate that he had to uh, follow up guys like Chris Winkie and, you know, play for a program that at the time thought if he lost two games in a season that uh, things had gone wildly off track. 
Uh, but we'll see. We'll see with, with Travis. Uh, you know, like we said, we're just starting this. Teams are going to adjust. Let's not get too far over our skis with, uh, with what 13 is ultimately. And at the same time, acknowledge the uh, competitor he is and, and what he's brought to the offense. And uh, if nothing else, an incredibly fortunate stopgap that they have stumbled upon. Absolutely. Uh, thank you uh, to Louisville for horribly mistreating Jordan Travis and generally just being bad people at their program yeah. uh, back when Petrino and them were there. It'll happen when you hire members of the fam. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Matt asks, what do you think Jordan Travis success means for the future of the quarterback position? Clearly seems to be his team and barring injury. He's not going anywhere this year or next year maybe the one after does this block out Purdy from seeing the field and ultimately lead us to transition to Altmeyer without seeing significant time from Purdy or Roadmaker? I, I mean, look, maybe I'll be way wrong on this, but I'm going to reiterate. I, I, I think a decent bit of what they're doing right now can be, can be stopped by the better teams, the better defenses you play. They're incredibly one-dimensional right now. If you actually wanted to keep rolling with Jordan Travis beyond this year, you probably need to just commit to going triple option even more than you're already doing, which is clearly not what you want to do for the long-term of the program because you're not going to get kids like big-time receiver playmakers to commit to you if you're still throwing the ball 20 times a game. I, like, I, I just disagree with, with Matt's premise here. I mean, it, he states um, – and this is his opinion, and this is my opinion. So, you know, he says, look, he's clearly not going anywhere this year or next year. As far as, like, a transfer, I think I'd probably agree with that. As far as, um, you know, cementing the starting job, I, I don't really agree with that. If if Louisville shuts him down this weekend and they, they load up against the run and he can't pass his way out of it, much like they couldn't pass their way out of it against UNC over the final 20 minutes or 30 minutes of that game, um, you could see a different starter – the next week against Pitt. I mean, that, that's, that's entirely possible. So I, and I don't think it's going to happen, but I definitely do not think that he has this starting job cemented regardless going forward. Uh, and certainly not in the next year, but I think an interesting thing here would be like the, the kind of, he's raised the bar. I think, as to like the minimum level that Purdy needs to be able to play at in order to take the job from him. They're probably comfortable continuing to do this because it's just not a total train wreck uh, compared to what they were doing before and, and giving Purdy some time to develop. But I definitely don't think like, do you think Jordan Travis has this job locked down for next year? I don't know that he has this job locked down for the pit game. If, he, if they come out and get shut down. I think it's his job until he loses it. And, you know, maybe him losing it is having to play against defenses that make changes. I, I feel like I'm being redundant here. Let's just enjoy what Travis yeah, is. Like, let's enjoy the competitor. Uh, let's not be super critical of him. Let's not also declare that he's going to be a three-year starter. Uh, we got an awful lot of time to see how this plays out. I made, a, I made an analogy to Ingram before the show started. And I said, look, we, we, we've discussed kind of the baseball analogy. of There are certain pitches this offense can't hit. And so it's just not, not swinging at them right? If it's so that the, the pitch this offense can't hit is like painted on the outside corner, that's viable. If the actual case as teams get more and more evidence of this is that the pitch that this offense can't hit is just any pitch on the outer half. Well, then we got a problem, right? Because a lot of teams can throw a pitch on the outer half. Not a lot of teams can paint the outside corner repeatedly. Uh, so we're just going to monitor how teams adjust to this. Uh, but I, I definitely do not, I do not view uh, Jordan Travis as blocking Chubba Purdy in any way. Yeah. At this the, point. The only thing I would say is that Jordan Travis will be, if he's here, he'll be used for the rest yeah. of his career. They'll have a package for him. They'll, I mean, he's, he's not going anywhere. He's also not your permanent starter. So uh, I think, think that's the best way to leave it for the time being. We should probably also note that we, we need to still consider the possibility that he's able to develop as a passer. Like, I, I don't want to write that off. It is possible. We really haven't seen Norvell's staff developing a quarterback in Tallahassee yet, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yep. Um, it is possible he could get better as a thrower. I think uh, he'd have to get fair. a lot better to stay as QB, though. Certainly, uh, you know, with, with, with more time, he'll, in theory, become a little bit better reader of the defense, uh, although not that he's first down interception aside, not that he's made 
a ton of horrible decisions, but you got to appreciate the fact that the guy hasn't played many games. And if a quarterback hadn't played many games, he hadn't taken a whole lot of competitive snaps in practice either. I mean, you don't, there's only so many of those things to go around and particularly with the way the last staff ran practice, there was only so many of these things to go around. So he's a real raw quarterback uh, and, and still has the ability to develop and maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Uh, Chris, a new Patreon provided what I thought was a pretty interesting question here, bud. Uh, it's great to see the mighty mouse, Ladanian Webb. If that's the, if that is the nickname we are running with Ladanian, I will uh, certainly sign off on that. And the rest of the Nolans playing with some heart against UNC. Looks like S&P Plus really knocked FSU this week. Is there a specific reason that the Knowles took a hit in SP, S&P Plus when everything else seemed positive? And is this reason to curb our enthusiasm about the on-field product? Uh, so I, I don't know that you need to curb the enthusiasm. I, I think this is a bit of a lagging indicator at this point. Uh, I'm going to read you what my friend Bill Connolly wrote this week on ESPN. Uh, he wrote a quick procedural note because of all the oddities of 2020, and Bill, Bill's the guy that does SP Plus. Uh, the diminished off-season practice time, the fact that we're whistling along with teams frequently missing one quarter or one-fifth of their scholarship players for a given time, et cetera. I designed SP Plus this year to be a bit more cautious out of the gates. I set it up so that more preseason projections were phased out more slowly uh, than they normal while we figured out the predictive effects of all these oddities. After some study and tinkering over the weekend, I'm confident in making things a little less conservative in that regard. The phasing out process is now closer in line how I've done things in previous years, which means that for teams that have played a handful of games now, their ratings are more reflective of how they've played to date. That should have a positive effect on predictions, but it does bring one oddity to the table. It means teams moved up or down this week based not solely on Saturday's results, but also on previous weeks. Florida State, which had played nowhere near its projections to date, fell quite a bit despite beating North Carolina. West Virginia, meanwhile, seemed to get quite a healthy reward simply for beating up Kansas. However, it was really due to what they had done in prior weeks. If a team made a decent jump during an off week, hello, Oklahoma State, uh, or made a movement that wasn't in line with the results to date, that's probably why. So yeah, I, I think that explains that pretty well. So FSU's drop in SP Plus this week is not because uh, the, the algorithm didn't, you know, didn't see, uh, it didn't see FSU's win over North Carolina as impressive. What it saw was a greater weighting on these things. So your component scoring, right, your, your just scoring margin involves things like this. Georgia Tech, the adjusted scoring margin over Florida State was actually 19.2 points, okay? We talked about this. Like FSU got incredibly lucky not to get blown out in that game you know, based, based on turnovers, which we know are mostly luck. Miami adjusted scoring margin, 34. Jacksonville State, 15 in favor of FSU. Notre Dame, actually minus 24. So again, those crucial turnovers that Notre Dame scored were kind of the reason why you covered in that game and it kept it within, you know, within the number. And then at you, or excuse me, not at UNC, but against UNC, the component score in that game, like how well did you move the ball? How well did the opponent move the ball? Let's think about, you know, turnovers and, and regress them a little bit, obviously, because there's a decent amount of luck in those, uh, especially return you know, turnovers and, and whatnot. Uh, they have North Carolina by 2.8, which is actually very reasonable. FSU won by a field goal. I, I, I think if you told me that North Carolina ended up winning that game by 2.8 based on how it was played, I mean, that's that's very that's very reasonable based on how the game was played. And playing North Carolina to a field goal either direction, especially when you actually win it, which is awesome to have happen. But, like, the algorithm is going to give you credit for that. Like, FSU uh, is certainly getting a lot of credit for that within that SP plus system of that. I'm, I'm quite confident. Jimmy Lee ask our next question. And that is any info. Why our Mari Gaynor didn't play much first UNC or why the other 2019 class of linebackers haven't played much this season. Deloach McCray. I know they were highly thought of last year. So uh, with Gaynor, it's just because the, like, he's been playing, he's been playing that stud position and they played more nickel against North Carolina and when they're in the nickel, he doesn't really have like the, the stud position is not on the field because you're, you're playing a nickel back instead. And so I don't think they wanted him to try and learn another position just for their nickel looks. Now, if you watch, he actually did play some defensive end mm-hmm. in this game. Uh, I, I think that they probably do need to figure out a way to see if they can cross train him at one of those backer spots, because I think he is that impactful of a guy. 
but there are going to be some games upcoming where you won't play as much nickel, that you will need him back on the field. So you don't really want to confuse him. I mean, he's new to this defense, uh, just, just like everybody else is. He is. I would agree with that. I'll also say that if they go to that more nickel look this weekend, I don't think you'll see, I think you'll see him involved in more snaps. I don't think you'll see that much of a drop off. Staff knows what they have with Gaynor and knows they've still got some time with him and want to develop him. He's not, I don't think he's going to see, there'll be nearly the disparity of snaps uh, that took place last weekend. So uh, other linebackers, Deloach just hadn't worked out from what we have seen of him. I mean, that's a guy who, uh, you know, certainly thought you'd you'd probably have a little bit more productivity from or uh, hopefully developing at a, a little bit quicker rate. Uh, and McC- there was some real frustration with McCray, both in some of the responsibilities and just the when he was there kind of diving at ankles uh, when it came for tackles. I don't I'm not writing a kid off, uh, but he's got a decent amount of work to do to get back into to regular playing time is my understanding. I think we can be skeptical of, of, of what he's going to do in the system. You know, like he's already basically been passed by Lundy and Dix. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a year older than them, you know, bouncing back, back athleticism wise was, was always kind of a question. He also didn't get to play a lot last year in the system. You know what I mean? Like he played some, but uh, not, not a ton. I mean, the, the real, the real time he shined was, was in that spring game. So, I, I think your skepticism there of of McCray is is pretty warranted. We'll have to see what happens, you know, with with Deloach. Does he end up staying on the team? Does he end up looking elsewhere for a better fit? Who who knows? Um. So who are we on? Now? We uh we're on uh TJ right? Uh, can the Fuller haters please sit down now? The scheme is there to put people in positions to make plays. This game, for the most part, they made the plays. Hate to pick on a kid, but why does it look like six either takes a bad angle or is trailing on like half the plays? Appreciate you guys. Are, are we doing this? Like, are, are we are we are we proclaiming this defense a success after one game? <laughs> Man, one uh, game syndrome tonight is is yeah, is, a, is a big. Yeah, we we uh we, we are making some some judgments. I think that uh, that you're not you can't declare it a success. And and also from what you've seen, uh, I do agree that people need to downshift with the idea that you've just got some bumbling fool running as a defense coordinator. Obviously, you don't get yeah. to where you are. You don't have the success that you are. And yes, Nor- he and Norvell worked together for a relatively small amount of time. I mean, this is not some you know, 10-year loyal guy that's going to follow Norvell wherever he goes. There's, there's a reason why Norvell brought him in as a defense coordinator. And maybe you flirted with a guy at Georgia. Maybe you didn't. But it wasn't like this was your third, fourth, or fifth option. This was a, a very quick uh, higher and I, you know, pro programs got some challenges programs, got some things it's going to have to overcome. The defense coordinator is, is not uh, on the top half of my list of those things. I'll put it that way. And he's only had five games and no spring and the zoom off season. Like this is, I don't know. I feel like we're, we just completely jumped the shark on both directions on this last week. We were getting questions about the chance that he would be fired in a year zero COVID. Remember, we had a couple questions about that. And this week, we're getting questions on, like, can the haters please sit down? This guy's awesome. <laughs> I'm not, like, A, no, he's not going to be, be fired. B, he still has plenty to prove, right? Like, they definitely overshot how much they thought these kids could learn in a short period of time. They had to dial it back. They successfully looked like they did dial it back, at least for one game. We'll see how well they handle Louisville this weekend against a different type of blocking scheme and a different type of offense. Uh, I we're still learning about these guys. Um, as to the question about, about would be like, I, I just, he's kind of a guy without a position for me, right? Is, is he athletic enough to actually play safety? I don't know if he has the actual physicality of, of a linebacker, but this was probably his best game. So I'm going to give him some praise. I, I thought he was, I thought he was better here. He, he did some good things. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've made my, my thoughts known on would be, I, I will say as far as the steps, False steps, I completely agree with you. And if you do that this weekend uh, without well, it won't, you know, you, you won't even see his jersey trying to catch up with him. I you mean, won't get it, time it, to take a second step. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, it's just see you. So uh, that, <laughs> that'll that dictate itself one way or another. Getting back here. Uh, I think we're on Derek. I think it's safe to say the UNC win is the high watermark for the majority, if not all of the players on the roster. I agree, Derek. Uh, and, and excuse me, I, 
I see there is more to that than just a uh, one sentence comment. If you're Norvell, how do you and your staff avoid an emotional letdown this weekend? After multiple primetime games, we now have a noon kickoff and what potentially potentially be a sleepy environment against a struggling but fairly talented Louisville team. I'm anxious to see if we can continue to start fast and avoid falling behind early. Talking about a high watermark, I will say uh, just kind of in passing conversation that I got an email from our good friends at uh, home field this weekend that I placed an order at Saturday, Saturday night that I wasn't uh, immediately familiar with, but so, uh, you know, I think we were all enjoying the high water that was Saturday night. You, you really gonna, <laughs> you really gonna get so high over one win that you, that you lose state as to where you are, or what your potential record could be. I think it's uh, possible. Yeah. It's very possible. With these guys on, on, on this roster. And, and the limited amount of time Norvell's had to install his culture. Yep. Like you talk to people over there, they, they definitely think a lot of these guys still have kind of loser habits, you know, and, and they're worried about this. They're worried about like, Hey, you know, these guys are, are, are worried about something on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat this week. And, and they, they, they think that they're, they're all that after one win, you know, I, I think they're absolutely worried about that. This is not a team that is past that hell. This is the first time, that they've had, even had a win. We'll see how they react to it. Like, this is what I was talking about. Like, I, there's so many unknowns. They could go out there and play great this weekend. They could go out and get their doors blown off. You know, I. How do you do it? And you got to reiterate to them just just how far away they are from being even a decent football team, right? I mean, like you got a ton of work to do if you want to even get to five wins this year or six. I would, uh, I would honestly just, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I really love kind of gimmicky things like this. I might have the records of the last two years just posted on display as you run onto the practice field or something like that. I mean, there's there's nothing that this program has done to accomplish anything. Uh, so it has right, been Louisville two years in a row, though, which is another reason why you worry uh, a little bit. These guys, you know, uh, might take this lightly. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a fair counterpoint. Definitely. Lucas asks, what is more true? Jordan Travis is close to uh, being completely responsible for the elevation of play of those around him, or the team has improved as a whole, as a result of more reps in Norvell's system. Ooh, man. I, these are both tough options. Cause I think, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle, which I, I know Lucas doesn't want me to pick, but like, I get it's, I don't know, like Jordan Travis has had a huge impact, but they're also, it's not just more reps in Norvell's system. It's literally a switching of the system. What they're running is not anything close to what Norvell has run in his prior stops for the most part, because he's usually a guy that wants to throw the football around some and not that he doesn't like a good run game, but they're running spread option now, like pretty hard. They're really not throwing the ball hardly at all. Um, so I think the main thing here is, is the switch to the system. You know they're they're running a system out of desperation, sure, but it's it's a system that is allowing them to, you know, salvage their season and not be totally embarrassed. That that's the main thing. And having a guy who fits it to a T in in Jordan Travis is is really, really key. So I guess I'll I'll go with 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 the first one. That a lot of it's on Jordan. Yeah, I, I was going to go that way, and I actually I thought we'd probably disagree with that. But yeah, I, I just think it's a I think it's a big damn deal, and. uh if you flat out don't feel like you're going to be able to accomplish anything on offense or you're just solely reliant on, I started to say 15, uh, on Terry running a, running a nine route, that's going to be your offense. That, that, can, that can stuck a lot out of the entirety of the team. And, and I do think it helps. And the fact that it's Travis and all the things we've talked about, about angles and extra men blocking and kind of letting you run, not necessarily a gimmick offense, but uh kind of a band-aid of an offense as you transition here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give a lot of that to Jordan Travis. Okay, uh, last one, and we'll get out of here for the night. It's a long show. Andy says, no question, just an anecdote. During the Sam Howell struggles in the first half, I looked up how Walt Bell was doing at UMass. This Saturday, he lost 41 to nothing to Georgia Southern and has a 1-12 record as a head coach. Thanks for everything, Coach. <laughs> I don't – Yeah. 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 I've got, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the pod. I've got a friend of mine that's on the, or a couple of friends on the Georgia Southern staff, but I'm close with one guy in particular. And I got a chance to talk with him just for a couple of minutes yesterday. And they, uh, 
one, they thumped the hell out of them. I mean, 41, nothing. If, if it's not, if, if a score of 41, nothing can be not indicative of a game, then that is it. And, uh, Nobody, nobody left Pawson Field down there in southeast Georgia with the idea that Walt Bell was going to be a superstar in the coaching ranks. I'll, I'll put it that way. So I know some guys who were on prior UMass staffs, and they all told me we were drinking one night at one of the, one of the uh, not the coaching conference, but like the, 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 you know, the annual coaches conference there. That, I think it was, what you, I'm trying to remember what, what hotel bar this was. I think it was San Antonio. So it would have been two or three years ago. And uh, they all just agree that UMass should in no way be an FBS team. Like they don't have the resources to compete in the FBS. They should not be playing in the FBS. They should drop it back down to FCS. And it's a little ridiculous that they're still in the FBS. Did you happen to see, by the way, which team, because you know UMass is now renting themselves out. Like they don't have a schedule. They're just available to play. That, that's how Georgia Southern got them because they had to add a game. Like, they're just if you have a game canceled, but your team is still healthy, you can play UMass, and they're like, "All right, we'll show up." Cool. Free agent of college football. Wow. Did you see who did it? Uh, who added them? FAU. Ooh. So so we get we get I, Willie versus Walt. I, I did see that. Yeah. Yes. Something that undoubtedly the uh, the titans of football will be watching down from the skies to learn <laughs> exactly what the the game looks like in its uh, top form in the modern era, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, so FAU uh, has also had serious COVID stuff, not quite Florida serious, where they shut down the program until Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I I wonder what the down payment is on that. Like, if if FAU calls and, and and schedules UMass and has another COVID outbreak, like, are they are they on the hook here? <laughs> That's a good question. Good question. So, all right, gentlemen and ladies, uh, certainly thank you for your listenership. This will be uh, the end of our preview podcast here. Uh, Ever so fortunate to be able to do these and uh, fun to be able to kind of talk about the win uh, that occurred on Saturday night. I know that listening uh, hadn't been always fun over the past couple of years, but this program hadn't, you know, unless we're just giving you state run propaganda, there hadn't been a whole lot of fun things to talk about. So Saturday night was a, a hell of a lot of fun. It'll be interesting to see how this team tries to process that and what the rest of the year looks like. But for myself, Bud, all our sponsors, our Patreon supporters, uh, this has been the Nullcast, and we will be back with you for an instant reaction podcast uh, somewhere mid-afternoon on Saturday.